Welcome to Coffeehouse Questions. This is Ryan Polly, and you're listening to the fourth part, the question class from Rock Harbor Fullerton. In this part, we finish talking about if miracles are possible, if the New Testament is reliable, and so now we have the open Q&A to finish off week two. I hope you enjoy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Those so those aren't original documents. Those are manuscript copies. Oh, okay. And so what we have is we don't have any of the originals. All we have are copies of the originals. And so we have, and actually none of those are original documents of all the different other sources that we looked at. Um, <clears throat> those are all copies of originals. So what happened, generally speaking, is that someone would write on an original, and it would get passed around and copied and handled so much that it just deteriorated, because it wasn't written on something that lasted well. And so uh, the, all originals from ancient world are gone. They've been destroyed, um, just from overuse, you know, being overread. And so what we have left are copies. And so that's why we have over 5,800 Greek copies of the New Testament. Um, yeah. And so we're able to take those copies. If we have, say, a thousand copies of one, you know, chapter or whatever you want to call it, then we can take those, we can compare all thousand copies, and that's how we can get back to an accurate, what it, what are we, what it most likely did the original say by comparing all the copies? Yeah. Um, so when it comes to, so this is New Testament truth. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's a lot of disagreement on how do we take it. One way that I, I like to think about it is that just because there might be disagreement on how we interpret it doesn't make it not it doesn't make it false. Um, and actually, this morning I was watching a video um, by Frank Turek, and he was talking about something different. Uh, but he said, for example, he said, "Is it possible that Christianity is true?" and the world is 14.3 billion years old? And the answer is yes. Well, is it po- however, is it possible for Christianity to be true and God not to exist? The answer is no. And so he, what he was saying is that a lot of times what we need to do is we need, as Christians, need to focus on the th- stuff that's the most important, at least when we're talking to non-believers. 
Um, and so within Christianity, we can kind of argue and talk about the age of the earth. Within Christianity, we can talk about correct interpretations of the book of Revelations. Um, and we can talk about how does Revelation, you know, how do we interpret it? What does it mean? Can we figure stuff out of when tribulation is? And when are we going to go up to heaven? But that's just kind of a, a discussion within Christianity, within scholars of like, okay, how do we interpret this correctly? And what does this mean for us? But I think what's important for us to realize is when we're talking to non-Christians, you know, whether it's pre-trib, post-trib, or, you know, mid-trib, that's not important to them. You know, what, you know, and some of those things, it's like, you know, what's the important thing? That Jesus is coming and we're going to go to heaven. And so um, I think that as far as, as the New Testament being true, just because we can't agree on a proper interpretation or we don't know exactly doesn't mean it's not true. And that's kind of the question we talked about last week when it comes to, um, <clears throat> uh, what were we talking about? The flat earth. We all believed it was, you know, people believed it was a flat earth. You know, was it true then? And it was like, well, no, we were just mistaken in our views. So obviously, as we look at Revelation, there's different interpretations. Uh, it's possible that one person's right, another person's wrong. It's possible we're both wrong, and there's another interpretation. Um, but it's important to, I think, when we look at the whole, what we know about Jesus is extremely accurate. We have a lot of information, um, and that's what should be focused on, at least for talking with nonbelievers. Um, and then, yeah, within our Christian groups, we can try and read Revelation and understand it. Yeah. Sometimes Revelation drives a lot of people's evangelism in different churches, and so in some ways that's probably sometimes can be the first impression of people is like hearing about Revelation and mm -hmm. the times and what's to come. And that's like, true. You know what I mean? So I was just curious how. Yeah. That. When I look at Revelation, I always ask like, what is what is the message? What is the point? At the end, it's going to be bad. We need to believe in Jesus, and there's going to be hope. You know, as far as all the details of every little seal and bowl and, what is, you know, again, people can go back and forth on forever and debate. You know, and there's great arguments on both sides. Um, you know, but I think, you know, to correct people's understanding on Revelation is like, we may not know exactly what it's going to be like, but it's going to be bad. We need to trust Jesus. That's my take on it, at least. Especially when doing evangelism. You know, same thing kind of, too, with just the deeper theological conversations. You know, we need to make sure the person trusts Jesus and believes in God and understands Christianity. We don't necessarily have to get them to have a full, comprehensive understanding of the Trinity, you know, right off the bat. So it's kind of like, what is the most important things? Do we need to make sure that they agree to a 6,000-year-old earth or a 14-billion-year-old earth? Or do we just need to get them to realize God exists and that he created, not necessarily when he created are my thoughts on that. Anything else? Yeah. Um, it might be veering a little bit, but um... no. Now, it, now is a good time if you just have any question whatsoever, not necessarily on what we talked about here, but just completely open up. Okay. Um, well, we, you know, we say yes, miracles are possible. God can do whatever He wants in the universe He existed. You know, that's logical, or that He created um, within logic. Um, we say the New Testament is true. Jesus said the Old Testament is true. Therefore, it's true. Um, but what about these talks about symbolism in these testaments? And, you know, no, that didn't actually happen. This is just supposed to 
represent something else, or even just um, also just that big difference between the God you see in the Old Testament and the God you're getting in the new one. Mm-hmm. It's very um, jarring, I guess, um, just having, you know, Jesus being, Jesus telling you, you know, don't even get angry, you know, at, well, I mean, you can feel anger, but, you know, you know, you shouldn't even be feeling this, you know, harboring this resentment towards people when, you know, God's saying if someone's, you know, not following his laws, stone them to death, you know? Yeah. I mean, how, have you looked into that change? That yeah. Um, I don't see as big of a difference in the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. Uh, I think when you look at Jesus' life, um, you know, you exam- for example, you have, you know, talking about, you know, loving your neighbor, loving these things, but then he goes in the temple and he gets angry and flips over the tables. And I think it, when we look at Jesus, what you see is kind of a righteous anger, you know, is it wrong for, you know, is anger a sin? Well, if it is, then God would have sinned. There's been times where God gets angry. You know, but is the question is, is he angry? What is he angry at? We also see Jesus calling the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. You know, it's better that you had never been born. You know, you know these type of things. We also see very language coming out of Jesus' mouth that is not what the picture that a lot of people paint of Jesus um, you know, we also have, you know, one thing Jesus saying, you know, turn the other cheek. But then when he was on trial, someone hit him and he goes, who hit, you know, tell me who hit me. Give me a reason or else, you know, you shouldn't have done it. You know, I, I just didn't paraphrase that correctly. But, you know, what I mean, like he didn't say like, okay, now I hit my other cheek. He's like, give an account of what you've done. And so I think a lot of times when we try and create this picture that Jesus was only loving and it's a complete contradiction of what was in the Old Testament, um, that's not an accurate picture of who Jesus was and the things that he said. I think that what you see in the Old Testament is a, is a God that is trying to set his people apart from the rest of the world and saying, look, these things are unacceptable. You don't do them. You have to learn that this is bad. Um, and then you also see Jesus in the New Testament is like, you still got this all screwed up. And so you do see a loving God at times in the Old Testament, as well as you see Jesus being loving in the New Testament. But you also see a just God in the Old Testament, and you see Jesus being just and angry and upset at the right things as well in the New Testament. Um, and so I think that sometimes the picture of two completely different gods is kind of, we only want to look at the bad and the old, and we want to only look at the new, the, the good and the new. You know, well, Jesus didn't go around killing a bunch of people like God did in the Old Testament. Well, no, but he went around setting people in their place and doing some other stuff. Um, I don't know. Does that make right. sense? I mean, it still seems like God switched gears a little on how he wanted to approach people. Um, how so? Just, you know, um, just I guess at some point he decided that the old way wasn't working or he probably maybe already had that in plan that he would change the way he treated, you know, people who weren't following. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just I feel like it's very different. Um, initially, telling people this, some of them is outside of the group, so or is not following my commands. Let's kill them. Versus this person is just following my commands. You know, love them as you would love yourself. You know, but yeah. When before Jesus, oh, sorry, not Jesus. Before God went in and wiped out the Canaanites. Do you have it, how long he waited? It was like 400 years that the Israelites were in the desert 
or in, in, sorry, not in the desert, we're in slavery in Egypt, in captivity in Egypt, waiting for the Canaanites to turn their hearts to him. And so I think sometimes, you know, again, this kind of picture of like, you don't do what I want to do, I'm going to kill you immediately. We see God waiting and, and giving people chances in the old, in the same way in the new. You know, to love on the person, Jesus says, but then again, if they keep rejecting, we see in the New Testament, you know, uh, Ananias and Sapphira, they lie and immediately drop dead. You know, and so we do see examples, too, of, like, God saying, like, you need to take this stuff seriously. I think it might be a little bit more extreme in the old because that's when God is really trying to separate his people as being different from the culture. Um, and so in the New Testament, you kind of you have that Jewish population that is following the law. Uh, but then, you, you know, when Jesus comes, there's this new sort of way. And I don't know. But I think that God in the Old Testament still does wait and gives people chances. And yeah, he definitely do that. Yeah. So he's a loving, compassionate God. But at the same time, there is justice, you know, for people. And, you know, Jesus said, for those of you that, you know, don't follow, their justice will come. Might not be as immediate, but it's going to come. Yeah. yeah. or whatever it may be, you see people say, um, you know, your Bible says this in the, you know, Old Testament used in, in Jesus, but Jesus says love, you know, your neighbor or whatever. Like, like, people will take parts of, like, the Old Testament and say, well, then Jesus, the way, like, things shifted when Jesus came, which it did in ways, and therefore, like, dismiss the Old Testament or and I feel like there's this, like, blurriness on how to see the Bible in its fullness. It, I think it's, it is, it's, it's easier to kind of separate and be like, God of the ultimate, Old Testament and Jesus. I think that's, that's just, like, a really big, um, I don't know, foothold, I guess you'd say, for people is just trying to understand how there, there's consistency throughout the Old and New Testament and how Jesus, um, in the fulfillment of the law didn't mean that you just dismiss everything that is from like that time or dismiss God from you know and, and his actions and, his, and the way that he um, did things back then. I, mm-hmm. And I feel like that's even with the people that I know that are like you know super smart and like claim Christianity and yet don't see the Bible as fully you know accurate. I guess you could say um, that's the reason why. Because they look at the Old Testament and say, look, like, women were treated horribly, you know, whatever you want to, whatever things they wanted to choose out of that, and then say, but then look what Jesus did, and Jesus turned around and, you know, empowered women, and, you know, so yeah. I think that's, that's, I, I get what you're asking that, because I feel like that, for me, I feel like I, I, there's a trust there, so I know, I mean, I fully comprehend the Bible and its fullness and the full storyline, um, and, and learning what, a lot of what you were saying sharing about um, that grace that God did give in, mm-hmm. in the Old Testament, but I think it's easy to kind of jump to God switched or he's different, yeah. or and Jesus equals just the big old love, which it is big old love, but you know what I mean, that that mean, that dismisses sin, and that you know, it's just about turning yeah. to Jesus and stuff like that, so I'm just 
how how do you feel like it's uh, some kind of best practices and how to carry a dialogue about Old and New Testament with people who are not of faith, you know, and or of faith too, and struggle with that difference or not difference, but perception of the Old and New Testament and understanding of Jesus in light of uh, Old Testament. Because I feel like that's for me why I actually find myself not like trying to avoid those people who like claim, especially I think the hardest for me is when they are people who do like know the Bible but not like don't want to accept it in its fullness. Mm-hmm. So. I don't know, when, when I talk to people who, who try and kind of separate out and do that, how, it, it's important to always understand where they're coming from. What verses are they holding to that are, you know, wrong or good or, you know, what is their argument and kind of going from there. It's hard to make a whole general statement. But I think you can look at lots of examples like we talked about. I also think about how many times did God give the Israelites a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance, you know, and just keep on like, okay, like you're punished for this. Now, like, okay, figure it out. Okay, you screwed up again, you're punished. Okay, figure it out. Okay, you screwed up again, you're off in captivity. Now I'm going to bring you back and give you, okay, you screwed up. Like, how many times, like, that is where I think you see the loving God come through, is he kept on giving chance after chance after chance to people. And you also see examples of, you know, in the Old Testament when, you know, there's someone who does what's right, even though they're not a part of the Israelites, they do what's right, and God honors that. And you see that same thing in the New Testament where Jesus says, hey, if you've done what's right, like, you know, love your neighbor, treat them well, um, you know, and, and give them chances. There's also times in the New Testament where people don't have very many chances. And Jesus is like, you screwed up. You, you know, the Pharisees, you've got it all wrong. You know, Ananias and Sapphira, you told a lie, you're dead. And so I think we, you can see examples from both. Um, and I don't know, to me, this just this picture of Jesus only preached love is, is false. You know, he had some strong choice words for some people and, you know, getting angry in the temple and some of the things. And it's like, you know, that's not the only message. But I do think that what you see is you see the full, complete picture of God. You see that he is 100 percent fully just, that he has to punish evil. But yet he is 100 percent fully loving and wants to love everyone. So you have this he wants he has to do justice, but he wants to show love. And so you see second chances. You see um you know, sometimes the punishment just comes. And so I think it would just be important to, you know, whenever I hear, you know, about the evil of the Old Testament, okay, well, what do you mean? What's the evil? Because it's interesting, too, when we're talking about this, um, for someone, you know, back to the moral argument. If someone doesn't believe in God, and they'll say, well, you know, the God of the Old Testament is evil, uh, okay, well, what, what's evil that he did? Well, slavery, you know, the you know, oppression of women, genocide. I just ask, well, why is genocide wrong? Well, you shouldn't be killing lots of people. According to who? And so, they, and so what we talked about last week, if God doesn't exist, then those things aren't wrong. You, have to, you need God as a standard to say that genocide is wrong. If not, it's just your opinion. And so you have to kind of steal from God. That's the idea of the book, Stealing from God. You have to steal from God. You have to steal morality from him to then say that he's evil in the Old Testament, therefore he doesn't exist. And so a lot of times, you know, it's like, well, it's interesting, too, when, when people say, well, you know, God did genocide, he was evil, he wiped out the Canaanites, you know, but they don't talk about Noah and the flood when the whole earth was wiped out. Um, but what you see is that it's also not angled just at one people group. That's what genocide is, right? Whereas, you know, he, he 
it was punishment of the Israelites at times. It was punishment of the Canaanites at times. But it was always in judgment for evils that they had done. So I just think it's important to kind of understand where they're coming from. Um, and then kind of helping them understand, like, okay, why are these things wrong that you think that they're wrong? You kind of, you do need God for that. If you're not a Christian, you're claiming God doesn't exist, then those things aren't wrong. Um, so I don't know if that helps, but. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of times, it, I feel like the core of the questions or the concerns comes down to the, the not wanting to accept that God judges. And so how can I excuse away the judgment? Um, like, there is no hell. Yeah. Yeah. He was very much still giving commands to, to choose him over yourself. And I feel like that's usually what it comes down to is people don't want. And it's a hard thing to swallow. Like, I don't want, yeah, I don't want people to go to hell and be eternally separated from Jesus. I understand how difficult that is, but I think that's ultimately where their, their lens is coming through, is trying to, to uh, come to a, a justification or being okay with the idea that people... Yeah. 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 It's definitely it's hard to think of God as judging. Then again, like if you think of any like judge, if someone commits murder and walks in front of a judge and the judge says, "Oh, you're fine. Have a nice day," we'd all be like, "That's a horrible judge." Like we would not think that that's a good thing. But yet, when it comes to God, then we want Him to do that with everyone. It doesn't matter what you've done; you can get into heaven. It's also under the misidea mis that, that everyone wants to go to heaven. Not everyone wants to. When we talked about this last week, Jesus is going to be in heaven and God is going to be in heaven and there's some people that don't want Jesus, some people that don't want God. And uh, Christopher Hitchens, who is an atheist and he passed away a few years back, um, he said that heaven would be like hell to him. He, doesn't want, he didn't want God in this life, he's not going to want him in the next there's just, you know, that idea that, like, no, God won't judge anyone. He loves us too much. Well, he loves us. That's why he sent his son and took the punishment for himself, fulfilling his ability to be fully loving and fully just. He can punish evil for evil, but then he can also love and give everyone the opportunity. But just not everyone wants that opportunity. Good question, though. So. Yeah. recently one friend who wants to believe and does slightly but kind of likes to throw out a bunch of the hard questions just to kind of say like if you can't answer this then yeah. maybe I shouldn't believe sort of thing and one of them um, that she finds hard to accept is um, or not accept because I don't know the answer but the big question is what about these people who have never even been introduced to God um, do they you know get rejected by him when they die just because uh, they obviously didn't follow Jesus because they never knew Jesus yeah what happens to them? That's yeah, that is a great question. Um, I will point you, I'll answer it now, but I'll point you. I wrote an article titled, What Happens to the, is it titled What Happens to Those Who Have Never Heard? Let me see right here. Let me pull it up. What about those who have never heard? I think that's what it's called. Let's see. 
Um, here's the, the title here is called, If Conscious Belief in Jesus is Required for Salvation, How is it Fair to Those Who Have Never Heard the Gospel? I think on my website, coffeehousequestions.com, it's just, how is it fair to those who have never heard the gospel? Um, and here, I think, is the short answer. Um, in the article, I kind of give a short answer for all these difficult questions and then explain it in a longer way. Um, but the short answer is, I believe that God will make an opportunity for everyone that will accept him. To ha they will have the opportunity. And so the way I explain it is that God knows who will and will not accept him. Um, and I think that everyone who has that openness, has that willingness to trust in God, um, they will have an opportunity. And, uh, and so the way I think about it is that um, through general revelation, through nature, through creation, uh, everyone sees evidence of God. Psalms talks about the heavens declare the glory of God. And then Romans says that we are without excuse, that everyone has seen enough of God. And so my belief is that through that, people kind of have this awareness of God. And those that are open, those that are willing to press further and desire more of him, that God will reveal more. Um, whether that's through dreams, through visions, through sending a missionary, there's lots of different ways that God will do it. But I believe that everyone who would accept will have the opportunity. Um, I, don't, I, I don't believe that God would place enough evidence out there for someone to go, oh, I want to know more, and then stop it, and then not give them more. Um, and so I do believe that God gives enough so that everyone that is willing to believe will have the opportunity, um, but that there are a lot of people that are unreached that just would not accept Christ even if they did have the opportunity. And so, again, I think that that is fair for God. He knows their hearts, and if they desire more of him, he will reveal more. Um, and if they don't, then they don't get more. Uh, but it's on their willingness and openness um, to accept a further revelation from him, not necessarily like he's withholding something and they're out there. You know, this idea, again, that all the, these tribes and people out there are, are just like, God, where are you? We want, we, we want this. We want this. And he's like, no, I'm not going to give it. You know, I, I don't believe that that's happening. And so I think that that, in short, is kind of the short answer of, you know, Everyone that is willing and open to, he will do what is necessary. And it's interesting because I feel like I, I've heard numerous stories of missionaries reaching in line to people grouping and saying, we've been waiting. Yeah. You know, like it's evident that God is preparing the hearts of those who are in those places. Yeah. Or like I've read books too of just like tribes coming to Christ through encounters with angels or things like that, and then a missionary kind of following after. Yeah. Yep. Missionaries going out there, so it's pretty cool to hear those stories. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. That is a good question. That's that's one question that um, kind of started my idea and my desire to understand apologetics and, and to go down this road. Is uh, it was after my I grew up in a Christian home, and after my freshman year of college, I went back to my hometown. I was with some people, and someone brought that up. And that someone I knew had, had left Christianity, and it was because God is sending all these people to hell, and that's not a loving God, and I don't want to follow him. And I remember just being speechless, like, 
oh, I don't know what to say. Like, and kind of that starting this, like, okay, there's some good questions out there. I, I want to figure out how to respond to these so I can be ready the next time someone does ask me and be able to give a response that hopefully makes sense and helps them. Well, thank you for listening to Coffeehouse Questions and Ryan Pauly. Um, that was the final part of the second week of the questions class at Rock Harbor Fullerton. Next week will be the last, the third and last week of the questions class. We'll be covering evolution, creation, and then a longer extended uh, open Q&A. And so uh, thank you for listening to this week's Coffeehouse Questions broadcast, the four parts for the second week and the final week of the I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist presentation. I uh, look forward to talking with you guys next week. Have a great week, and God bless.